wow, that is amazing, and we're full of awe and wonder. But actually, if we think about it for too long, there's also something about it that can make us feel ever so small. Um, people of a certain age, i.e. middle-aged like me, um, may well have been brought up as teenagers on the rather glorious but very silly series of books, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And in that book, there is an exquisitely silly, uh, if rather terrible, torture device that is called the Total Perspective Vortex. And it connects you up to a machine that um, momentarily, instantaneously, shows you just in a fleeting second the sheer vastness of the universe and has a tiny little arrow in the middle that says, you are here. And in the, the silliness of that book, that one fleeting moment makes even the most egotistical maniac, which actually one of the heroes in this book actually is, that it's meant to make them wobble at the knees and feel utterly small. And in the midst of the truth of that, the, what science tells us about the astonishing vastness of this universe and of our tiny, tiny relative insignificance compared with it, this whole business of prayer that we're looking at this term in our sermon series seems just an outrageous silliness. How on earth could it be, why on earth would it be, that even if there is some supreme being, even if there is a creator God, one who is beyond space and time, if there is a God, why on earth, in all the vastness of the universe, even simply why on earth amongst the billions of people on just this one tiny little planet, why on earth would God listen to me? What would make the God of the universe hear my prayer? What could possibly make God interested in me? Now, people have come up with all sorts of answers to that. Of course, plenty of people would simply say, well, if God is there, actually the answer is, well, he isn't interested in me. He couldn't possibly be. For others of us, we say, well, maybe God is only interested in me on the times that I'm in genuine, real, life-threatening trouble. And then only if I yell really loudly and in the right voice and with the right type of prayer. Or maybe we say, well, maybe God will listen to me maybe once or twice in my life, particular high points and moments when I get it just right. As if God is hiding and we have to go looking for him, yelling through the universe, God, if you're there, would you listen to me? God, if you're there, can you hear me? God, if you're there, would you answer me? And the reason right at the beginning of our time over this term looking at prayer that we're going right back to the first few chapters of the Bible, to this pair of beautiful theological parables about creation, chapter 1 and chapters 2 and 3, that help us to see who God is and why we're here. The reason we're going back is because actually they show us that the whole point of prayer, the whole dynamic of prayer, is exactly the opposite of what we think. That prayer isn't about me going searching for God but prayer is about me responding to God coming, searching for me. Now, I don't know how you are at parties. You may not get the opportunity to experiment with that very question very often, but if you do, I wonder whether you are the type who will tend to stand on one side and wait for somebody to talk to them. It's a terrible feeling, isn't it? If you've ever been somewhere where you don't know anyone, might not be a party, could be a work dude, could be amongst your neighbours, could even be at a family gathering where there's nobody you particularly know very well or you haven't seen for years, could be coming to church. And you stand there and you hope that somebody will come and speak to you. Although you hope that when they do, it's not an awkward conversation, that you know what to say to them. 
What you don't want to have to do is to go up and say the first words. Here's the glorious thing about prayer. God speaks first. God makes the first move. Every time in the Bible, God speaks first. God moves towards us in love before we ever speak to him or love him back. And Genesis 1, Genesis 2 and 3, these two beautiful parables of creation show us that actually well before any human being ever spoke to God, God was speaking to them. The first thing that God speaks to them is back in chapter 1, verses 28 and 29. God blessed them, man and woman, And he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. The very first thing that God says to any human being is blessing. Isn't that an amazing thing to hear? I think you and I probably assume that the very first thing God would say to us is a whack round the back of the head and how dare you. Actually, the very first thing that God says to you, the very first thing that God says to me, actually the very first thing that God has ever said to Rocco is blessing. I give to you. As he gave to, uh, in this picture language, to Adam and Eve, the gift of food and of a planet and of a purpose, he gives to you and me the gift of life before we ever ask for it. He gives to us this astonishing gift of the the wonder of this creation. He's given to Rocco the gift of a family he was born into. He didn't get to choose it. It's just a gift. He's given to us this astonishing gift of being loved. The very first thing God says is blessing. Actually, part of prayer is simply responding with thankfulness to God's blessing. If you're ever thinking, what do I pray? What do I say? I'm not sure where to start. It's a really good thing to do, simply recognizing, what's that old hymn? Count your blessings every day. God blesses us. There is simply not a day in our lives, even the very worst of them, where there is not something that we can recognize God has given to us and we can be thankful for. That's the first thing God says. But look, the second thing that he says to them is in chapter 2. Having given them blessing so that they're cared for and provided for, he then gives them boundaries to keep them safe. Chapter 2, verse 16. The Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. In this parable of creation, what we see is God saying to them, I care for you, and therefore I'm giving you boundaries. It's not simply a case of blessings. Here's all this stuff to have and to enjoy. He also says to them, I care for you enough to set boundaries to keep you safe. And the picture language here is of the boundaries of not taking um, decisions upon ourselves that should be God's. Not assuming that we know best because we ought to know that our creator God knows best. Not stepping outside of his loving will for us because he made us, because he loves us, because he knows what's best for us. God speaks to you, not simply with blessing, but with the gift of boundaries, a way to live that will give you life in all its fullness, a way to live that will show you the way to go. Of course, that's, both of those are part of parenting, aren't they? I mean, Kevin and Alison, as they are speaking words of love to Rocco, are both speaking blessing on him and giving him so much as he grows up, 
but they're also speaking boundaries, aren't they? Not because they're killjoys. You know Alison and Kevin. Not because they don't love him, but because they do. Because they want the best for him. And so they're going to say to Rocco, don't go and play with that sharp carving knife in the middle of the road. They're going to say, that's a really bad idea. Give that back here. Don't go there. Not because they want the worst for him, but because they want the best for him. God gives the gift of boundaries because he loves us, because he wants the best for us. And so prayer is often responding to the fact that we simply trample lots of those boundaries in the dust. That's why we say confession so often. Not because we've got a low self-esteem problem, but because actually we recognize that God has set boundaries for us that are for our good, and we step over them again and again and again because we think we know best. And that's the heart of this business of taking the fruit and eating it. It's basically saying to God, I know you made everything and all of that, but I know best. Prayer is responding to God's blessings with thankfulness. Prayer is responding to God's boundaries with confession. But I want to suggest that most of all, prayer is responding to God's friendship, to his beckoning to us with adoration. Kat read for us this beautiful, astonishing interaction between God and the first human beings in chapter 3 of Genesis. Adam and Eve, in the picture language of this parable, have taken the fruit because they've believed the lie of the snake, and they have chosen to do their own thing rather than what God says. And so they're ashamed, and they hide. Imagine, I mean, when you think about it, imagine hiding from God. It's an odd concept, really. God is everywhere if God knows all things. It's a sort of, you know, the, the humor of playing hide-and-seek with a toddler who hasn't yet learned that just because they can't see you, you can't see them. Actually, the fact is that because they're hiding behind the sofa but their legs are sticking out the side, doesn't quite work, does it? But you still play along. That's exactly what is pictured here. It says that God, verse 8 of chapter 3, is walking in the garden of the cool of the day. It's one of my favorite verses in the whole of the Bible. This picture language of what... Life with God is meant to be. It's meant to be friendship, relationship, family, being together, walking together in the cool of the afternoon, and they are hiding. Do you honestly think that the imagination here is that God doesn't know where they are? Of course he knows where they are. But you see, God never forces himself on anyone. God will never force his love on you. God will never force it on you. He will never force his love by making himself so obvious, so demanding, so awesome that you have no choice but to crumble before him and fall flat on your face. Not this side of the life of the world to come, he won't. Because rather than demanding, what he speaks is much more like a beckoning, an invitation. He gives them the opportunity to respond. He says, where are you? Come out. He sort of beckons them out. Come and be with me. Prayer, more than anything else, is a response to God beckoning us into friendship with him. And that's for you. It's not just for me because I'm a vicar, not just for John as a lay minister, it's not just for somebody you know who goes to church all their life. It's for you, whoever you are, wherever you've come from, whatever your experience or lack of it of God, what the Bible says is that God beckons you into friendship with him. And what we find is that all the way through the Bible, from these first chapters of Genesis until the coming of Jesus, is there is this pattern. There is a pattern where you will see God blessing people, 
setting boundaries for them, and then beckoning them into friendship. Time and time again, he does it with his people, Israel. He blesses them with leadership and with a, a promised land and with all the blessings of that. He sets boundaries for them in the Ten Commandments and his commandments for them in general. And then he beckons them into being his friends and living for him. And time and time again, people go, don't think so. I'm going to do it my own way. And then what we see in chapter 1 of John, the beginning of John's gospel, his account of Jesus, is that John deliberately takes us back to these chapters in Genesis. And what John says is he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word came and was made flesh and pitched his tent among us. What he's saying is, you know that God you've read about who blesses people, who gives us boundaries, who then beckons us into friendship? He's come to walk with us in the cool of the afternoon. He's come to walk with us in the person of Jesus. He's come to be with us, to bless, to set helpful boundaries that will keep us safe, and most of all, to beckon us into friendship. But he won't ever demand it. You read the Gospels, these lives of Jesus, God come to be with us. Jesus could have made everybody bow the knee. For those who know it, that's one of the temptations that the enemy puts before him in the, in the wilderness. Make everybody bow the knee. You know you can. Jesus says, no. I'm not here to demand. I'm here to beckon, to invite. So you're invited. Rocco's invited. That's the whole point of baptism. Baptism is a, is a mark of God's blessings. That's why we talk about all God's faithfulness to us. It reminds us of God's boundaries. That's why we make confession. I turn to Christ. I repent of my sin. And that's, it's a mark of God's beckoning, his invitation. That's why we pray for Rocco, that as he grows up, he's going to respond to that invitation. And that is what prayer is all about. God offers you this gift, a gift of response. A gift that is so simple, the tiniest child can do it. A gift that is so richly satisfying, you can explore it all your life and never get to the end. Week by week, and with this I finish, um, over these next few weeks, we're going to try and give a sort of whole series of two-minute tips, things to try, if you like. And uh, simply want to go, try this um, when it comes to prayer. Um, try this um, this week. If you want to just try... Um, praying for the first time or for the thousandth time or for the hundredth thousandth time. And this week, I simply want to use a shape for prayer that comes straight out of this passage. Many of you will know it, and it uses the mnemonic ACTS, A-C-T-S. Um, and it simply says, not as a rigid thing, but if you want to help into prayer, if you're not sure where to start, you could do it this way. Start with A, adoration. Adoration is, very, is a big word that is very simply about responding to God's beckoning invitation. It simply says, Jesus, you love me. I simply want to love you back. C is for confession. We're responding to God's boundaries. Simply where I say to Jesus, Jesus, I'm really sorry. I'm not the person you made me to be. I really want to live a better life. T is for thankfulness, where we respond to God's blessings we simply say thank you to God for the gift of this amazing world that's around us, for the gift of family and friends and maybe a job or a house to live in or food on the table. And only then we get to S. We have to think of a good one for S, which is a, a word we don't use very often, but supplication, which simply means asking. But actor didn't sound so good. Um, we only get around to asking for stuff at the end. 
we start with simply saying to Jesus, I love you. Thank you for loving me. We confess that we step across God's boundaries. We give thanks for all his blessings. And then we make our supplication. We ask for what we need. Acts. It's an offer. It's a suggestion. If you've never tried it before, it might just give a shape to your praying that will help you step into it. In a moment, we're going to come to communion. And in communion, more than anything else, we're reminded that God gets his word in first, that God spoke to you before you ever spoke to him. Because we're remembering what Jesus did 2,000 years ago, before you were even thought of. Jesus lived for you, died for you, and rose again for you before you had any chance to respond to him. And so in coming up to get bread and wine or in coming to get a blessing, what you're simply doing is you're saying to God, okay, you've spoken to me. Now I would love to speak to you. You've loved me. I would love to love you back.